Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Coming up on this week's Gagan Pressing, Bryce, Manu, and Chris are back to discuss match day 26 of the Bundesliga. And oh my word, Bayern Munich. Was that their best performance this season against Stuttgart? We have a Champions League race now between Borussia Dortmund and Frankfurt. And finally, the soap opera at Schalke continues. Is Ralph Ragnick in or out? And will he be shaken about? That's all coming up in the next 50 minutes on Gagan Pressing, the Bundesliga podcast. Ich war seit Wochen auf diesen Tag. Und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And joining me, as always, is the area manager and writer for Transfer Mark, Manuel Veth. Manu. How are you doing? Yeah, good, Bryce. Doing really well. Um, really looking forward to this podcast because we got Chris back. I know I probably ruined your intro now, but I'm so happy to have him back and I can't uh, can't contain my enthusiasm for it. <laughs> well, yeah, this is it. So Chris is back. Um, obviously, you two have been uh, teaming up over the last few weeks, haven't you? Um, I'm doing a segment for the podcast, but I've missed him. I haven't got to speak to him. So here he is, Bundesliga expert, Chris Williams. Chris, how you been? Bryce, I've been very well, thank you. It's lovely to be back. As much as I love working with Amazon and the DFL on a Sunday, it is just as nice to be um, back on the podcast that we've done as a as a threesome for four or five years now. So yeah, it's nice to be back. And I'm looking out of my um, window, French doors. I'm going to say window. They're French doors, and it's sunny. I've cut the grass this morning. It's it's like spring. All is looking so positive, Chris. Eh? Oh, what a time! What a time to be alive. Um, yeah, I suppose, guys, we might as well get into the topics. We've got plenty to talk about, as always, uh, on the podcast. Um, hey, let's start with uh, Sunday. So, we've witnessed another defeat for Bayer Leverkusen, this time at the hands of Hertha Berlin, 3-0. Chris, I'm going to go to you first. That's three wins in 13 since the winter break for Leverkusen. They just can't seem to stop the rock, can they? What What's going on here? Oh, it's terrible. Um, I mean... Look at them early season. They, you know, they were going. They were doing really well. the The problem we've got is if their season was flipped, if they if they'd started poorly and then their second half of the season was actually the first half, we'd be saying how good they are now. But unfortunately for them, they started really well. That defeat against Bayern, I, I can only put it down to that one defeat. That one defeat just before Christmas blew their whole season apart. They just fell off after that, um, and they've looked a shadow of themselves. And at one point we were saying, can they win the title? Now we're looking at, will they qualify for Europe? It's um, It's gone wrong and they look really poor. I mean, this game this week um, against Hertha, they, they were dreadful. The defense was horrendous. They created chances, but didn't do anything with them. So I think they only registered one shot on target over the game. And if you only see that stat, you'll think, well, actually, they must have been really poor. Well, they didn't. They created four, five, six decent chances. But you know, as I 
sort of flippantly tweeted out, Patrick Schick was Hertha's best central defender. He he seemed to clear everything, not bring the ball under control and, and get a shot on target. But defensively, they were a mess. In the midfield, I thought they were poor and they were way behind um, the level that Hertha were operating at. A really bad Hertha Berlin side as well, by the way, of late. Um, Leverkusen couldn't um, couldn't hold a minute to them. They were really poor. And, and what's telling for me is that the last couple of minutes of that game, you could see the Leverkusen players looking up to the big screens that are, are, are dotted around the Olympiastadion. And they were looking at the time from like 75 minutes onwards saying, you know, get us out of here. Is it 90 minutes yet? And you could see a few of them exhale when it got to 82, 83, that they knew maybe their time was up. But um, yeah, it was oh, it was terrible. Um, does Peter Bosch stay? Does Peter Bosch go? I, I'm not sure, but he can't keep on pushing out results and performances like this and still get the backing of uh, Rolfus and Voller. Um, it's going to be dangerous for him if it carries on this way. Yeah, it was absolutely shocking, wasn't it? The defence was all over the place. But Manu, if, if we look at the table at the moment, they're sitting in sixth. They've got 40 points. Uh, they're fairly lucky that Union Berlin uh, lost this weekend. Otherwise, they would have leapfrogged them. They've got 38 points. But how likely is it that uh, Leverkusen are going to get into Europe, you know, uh, at this rate and and then I suppose the the follow-up question is how important is it that they get into Europe again yeah and it's um in Europe we mean the Europa League and the Champions League right because currently they're in that um UEFA Conference League um if you're confused about what it is look it up google it it's uh, this brand new competition that UEFA and the Infinite Wisdom have designed for next season and that's where they're currently sitting, right? So you wouldn't even play against um, Europe's secondary teams. You would be playing against Europe's the third third tier teams, right? So it's that's not that where they are currently. It's it's not good enough. And I think it comes down to quite a lot of things, right? Because you have Simon Olfus say before the game that the Europa League is the minimum. Um, you have Fuller saying that Champions League would be nice. They have missed the Champions League. They are about probably going to miss the Champions League for the second season in a row and it's so very important for their development and that doesn't sound good does it and I mean um, both Chris and I are always very careful when it comes to asking for coaches to be fired but it's it doesn't doesn't seem like they have quite a solution for it and I, I did some reading before this game and during this game and I thought it was really telling what Bosch said about having problems against teams that are sitting low in defense and um, the lack of creating chances or the lack of when they have chances of being able to get the ball across the line. And some of that is due to recruiting, right? I mean, we've, we've talked many times about how Leverkusen signed certain players that seem to be very one-dimensional, fast, pacey, but um, not necessarily with that with that goal impact quality. And I think that comes down to, some of it comes down to Bosch, but it's really just a, a problem for the entire club at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's really not looking very good for them at all. You know, in ever in several areas. Um, Chris, um, you mentioned about Peter Bosk there um, a few weeks ago when Stefan was on. Uh, Manu, uh, Stefan, and I guessed that you know he, he probably only had a few days left in his role, but he, he's continued to stay there. Um, is there any way that he can be there next season? Uh, and if not, then who who are they possibly going to get in? This is the main thing, isn't it? it- it's all well and good saying, oh, the performances haven't been particularly good. Let's change the coach. Well, who's going to come in now? No one, really. So they're going to have to look from to promote within. 
to to guide it to the edge of the season or to the end of the season. Uh, as you quite rightly said, you know they are way off. I think now Champions League they're seven points off, seven points adrift from that fourth place. They won't. I don't think they're going to be able to capture that back up. They're only three off from a Dortmund side who are hit and miss. So they could theoretically get that Europa League slot back under Bosch. Is he there next season? It's a good question. The only thing that might save him is that this season, I think it's going to be a bit of a free hit for a few managers because the games are thick and fast. You know, We've had all the debacles about players being released and different health authorities doing this, different health authorities doing that, and some having to isolate for five days and some having to take 14 days. It might be the whole crazy situation that we're living in at the minute might just buy someone like Peter Bosch an extra six months. But the the danger with that then is if Leverkusen start the new season in the same type of form and, you know, by Christmas or by the first international break, October time, or the, or the main international breaks, October, November, if they're 10th or 11th, that might be too late. They should have changed earlier. So it's a real difficult one. But Rolfus keeps saying all the good stuff. Um, Rudy Voller too is going to be given time. He's got the players. You know he'll turn it round. Um, if they finish outside of Europe and they don't even get into this new European Cup Winners Cup Conference League, whatever it's called, this week, um, then I- I'm not sure whether he can go on. But then who do they get in? That that would be my question. It's a rhetorical question because you know there's a number of coaches they could go after in and around them. But would they leave? that particular club to to join Leverkusen. I think someone that um, may fit them is um, Maserazzo from Stuttgart, potentially. Then you've got the likes of Glasner at Wolfsburg. Would he want to leave there? Hutter at Frankfurt. Would he want to leave there and go to Leverkusen? I mean, they are in and around that sort of side. Um, so some of those coaches might see it as a sideward step. It's not, you know, they're not Bayern or they're not Dortmund. So it's not a step up for a coach. Um, it's going to be difficult. And then they'd have to look abroad, obviously. Um, but he started the season off really well. It's just fallen apart. And do they give him the benefit of the doubt in a crazy season? They are the club to do that. Um, you know, they don't seem to just press the fire button um, willy-nilly. So he may get that time. Um, as I say, it, maybe it's just a free hit for him. Well, what might be a free hit is the next time uh, they play in the Bundesliga, they'll be playing Schalke. Uh, If they don't get three points there, then my word. But anyway, uh, let's uh, move on. Uh, Let's talk about uh, the hopes we have for a title race uh, and and talk about uh, Bayern Munich and RB Leipzig. Wamakachuka there where he could have played him. Oh, here's another opening and Lewandowski! Another hat-trick! You can't make mistakes against Bayern like that and get away with them. 4-0 to Bayern. Lewandowski registers yet another hat-trick. Yes, so Manu and I spoke last week about Robert Lewandowski's outrageous goal-scoring record this season and he's done it again, adding three against Stuttgart. 35 this season. Wow. Manu, uh, we were hoping uh, Stuttgart might help you know, with the uh, title race that we're hoping for after RB1 on Friday night. That wasn't the case. Yeah, what a strange match. I mean, there's no other way of putting it. It was such a strange game in so many ways. And 
I think we all had a lot of hopes for Stuttgart and the first 10, 15 minutes or so, Stuttgart were brilliant. They really took it to, to Bayern. Um, Gintuka, um really taking runs on that on that uh, left back, Alfonso Davies, right? And then Davies was sent off and Bayern managed to score three, uh, sorry, four goals from an XG of just 1.1 with Lewandowski scoring a hat-trick. It was such a bizarre turn of events that Bayern all of a sudden with a man down, probably, that was probably the best performance. Those first 45 minutes were probably the best performance that we've seen from them all season long. They were compact in defense. They were organized. They were effective in attack. Thomas Müller and Lewandowski had an absolute brilliant game. That second goal, the way it was played out in Stuttgart's box, I haven't seen that kind of football from Bayern since they smashed Barcelona 8-2. And all of that with a man down. It's It was a very kind of bizarre turn of events. And um, I think the second half kind of showed what could have been if Stuttgart hadn't had done a better job reacting to that red card, right? And maybe like not been tactically surprised because it was very even in the second half. But if you're 4-0 down against Bayern, I mean, <laughs> that's game over, right? It was a very strange match. And I think there was a lot of hot debates about that red card, Chris, um, on Twitter. You know, I think it was an easy red card. I mean, the first replay that I saw is like, oh, God, VR is going to take a look at this and they're going to send him off. They have to. But it's always so interesting how people, when they look at certain incidents and they just think, okay, well, this is just an accident. But that's not how it is work, is it? No, it's not. People go, oh, you know, did he mean it? He's not normally like that. So when they say, oh, he didn't mean it, what they're saying is there was no intent there. Well, intent was taken out a few seasons back. You know, you can't these days say, I'm really sorry, mate. I didn't mean to snap your ankle in three places there. It was a genuine mistake. You know, that doesn't wash that anymore. You know, (laughs) that's not an acceptable defense. And neither is, it was a mistake. I'm not that type of guy. And Alfonso Davies is no way near a dirty player, but his tackle was foolish. It was over the ball. It was it was a full stamp onto the ankle. The ankle buckles. You know, it's serious foul play. Whether he meant it or not, whether it was a mistake or not, or whether he one hundred percent wanted to snap the ankle, it's a red card decision. And yeah, people often look at the well. One, I don't think they look at the law. Two, they go, oh, he's not meant it. And but yeah, it's clear. It's a lunge from the front with one or both feet. It's over the ball. And it endangers the player's safety. It's ticks every single box to be a red card. And um, I thought it was going to change the match. Well, it did. Um, I know clubs and teams often train in an overload situation, in a negative overload situation. So they will play um, six versus eight, or as in this case, they'll play 10 against 12, sometimes 10 against 14. Um, so they're able to get used to playing with a, you know less of a number as a disadvantage and obviously Hansi Flick and Bayern play like that because all of a sudden they looked even better with 10 men than they did with 11 but yeah it's a nailed on red card um, whether Alfonso Davies is a nasty player or not which you know I don't think he is which I think it's a mistake I don't think he means it but unfortunately that's not a defense I just you know getting back to this whole change of situation Chris the the fact that they you know they've, they've Bayern have been leaking goals all season long, right? And it was almost like a switch went on in Alaba's, Boateng's, um, Neuer's head and saying, like, oh, yeah, we have to be now 
Zule as well, right? I mean, you now have to be defensively organized because we are man down. And that was the best defensive performance from that side that we have seen probably since Hansi Flick has taken over. And I think that's such a strange thing. It's almost like the squad only performs when they're faced with adversity in some ways, right? We see it in the Champions League week in and week out. And I think that this, that is, I mean, as great as this performance was, but that's also a dangerous thing in many, in many ways, right? Because like you're not always going to be faced with that in the Bundesliga. And it's almost like it shut down the sloppiness that they usually have. Um, and I think that's a really interesting observation. And I wonder now if that maybe that, that was the switch and it will be like that for the rest of the season. Or if we're going to see the normal Bayern side again in the Bundesliga, you know, after the international break where they just leak goals randomly um, while they're playing fantastic football in the Champions League. It's a, it's a really interesting observation. I'm really curious if this is maybe also like a moment where we say, okay, well, Bayern learned how to defend again. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, don't know if it's going to be a crucial moment, but I think obviously, as Bryce has already said, and as people will know, that Leipzig won on Friday night, a, a good result against a team that was quite dangerous at times. And that's sort I know there's the there's the gap there, but it sort of puts the pressure back onto Bayern. And, and then, you know, Leipzig have won on nearest challenges. Uh, and then all of a sudden they go a man down real early. And I think that's a switch to them. Like, uh-oh, we're now in a game against a really decent side with dangerous forwards, well-coached compacted through the middle can break out wide if they want we're now going to have to start playing real football and and they did um you know drop to a back three out of out of possession um and, and into it at times and yeah I, I don't know whether it was playing with that three and occasional four when one of the midfielders dropped in but it just made them concentrate like you said a lot better and maybe that's been the, half their problem and and not necessarily their own fault because you know, I'll sound like a broken record now. They're playing a lot of games, coming thick and fast. They've got a lot of training to do as well. Um, maybe you just get a little bit lackadaisical or, you know, a little bit blasé about it at times. But when something happens and makes you stand up and think, then um, you start to put in a result like this. And we've seen it before. You know, they went down against Armenia Bielefeld and it sort of whipped them back into shape a little bit so they could recover that situation um, and we've seen it go the other way when they were, you know, comprehensively beaten by Frankfurt. But on this particular occasion, um, yeah, the the red card changed the match considerably in a way that I never thought. And it made a very good Bayern side look even better. I mean, when I was watching this game, I was lucky enough to have four games on at once. Um, it, they just, I had to have a little look at one point because I thought, were Stuttgart down to 10 men because they the way they controlled the whole pitch, whether it was wide or whether it was compact, whether it was the first third or the last third or the middle third, they controlled every single area. And I know there's a, a few injuries that Stuttgart have, and we're probably going to get onto that one real serious injury for an exceptional player this season. But you know, apart from that, Stuttgart really didn't show any threat that we've seen of late and that can only be due to the way that Bayern are, are coached and how professional they are and that winning mentality shone through again where I think it might have dipped a little bit the last couple of weeks. Manu, you said the game was rather bizarre, which yeah, in some context it, it certainly was and I think that brings us on to a topic you wanted to discuss about XG. Yeah, XG. Um Big grain of salt, you know. I do like the statistic and I do like the number. Um, I think we we overvalue it at times, but I had some, you know, that seeing the XG, Bayern's XG after the first half, um, and it was just one point one, 
had them having scored four goals. And then I looked at Lewandowski's XG for the game. Um, Lewandowski's XG for the game was one and he scored four. Uh, sorry, three, right? Uh, tripled his expected goals. And then I, I, I thought, okay, well, he's been doing this all year. He's out, been outperforming his XG this entire season. You know, his current XG for the season is at 28.25, which is a good rate for like any striker. But he scored 35 goals in the Bundesliga, right? So, yeah, it's. I think that's people wondering maybe about the biggest difference in this game between the two sides. I think... Robert Lewandowski, he's in a phenomenal form. And when you see the way he scores, I mean, he scored with his left, with his right, and with his head. And the, the header was a very difficult header to take. I mean, he's he's basically floating in the air and managing to put the ball into an area where the goalkeeper has no chance whatsoever, right? And I think that is really just the biggest difference right now between Bayern and any club in the world, that they just know that Lewandowski is going to get two or three goals. And it doesn't matter if it's in the Bundesliga and the Champions League. And that's, you know, if you have that kind of reliable forward, um, that makes a difference. We had clubs like Real Madrid for years rely on Ronaldo. We had clubs like Barcelona rely on Messi, right? And I think that's currently the situation that Bayern are in. They just know that they have a player who will score two or three goals for them every single game, no matter who they face. And that's um, a remarkable thing. And I think Without a doubt, Lewandowski is in the form of his life and the best player on the planet right now. Chris, you mentioned um, about uh, one man, Gituka's injury. Uh, unfortunately, um, it, it looks like um, he's done his ACL, so it will, we'll not see him the rest of the season. How, how much of a loss for Stuttgart will that be? Well, not just a loss um, for Stuttgart, but for the whole of the league. He's a real exciting player. We've all seen the way he finishes, but it, it's not just his end product he can he can make the end product he can be the you know the assister if you want to call it that but he can pick up the ball he can drive at defenses he has no fear he's been monitored by massive clubs across europe you know you're looking at tier 1 clubs have been keeping their eye on him you know unfortunately now he's got that real bad injury which even if he gets the best rehab in the world which you know he's lucky he's in germany he'll get some really good rehab and even if he's lucky enough to go somewhere hot um, like Dubai because the heat helps with rehabilitation. You're still looking at six months before he's kicking a ball properly again in a match, and then you probably need another six to eight weeks to get back to his best. So, you know, from a, a season of promise, his, his next season has been curtailed already. I, I genuinely don't think we'll see him again until October, November, back to anywhere you know, like he's been in the league. And yeah, so it's a real shame for him personally, for Stuttgart especially. Um, but yeah, it's a real sad situation. And just a, another byproduct of, of this crazy season we've got with players everywhere getting muscle injuries or, you know, ligament damage. We've seen it frequently. It's a reminder for me that, you know, these guys aren't robots and we're about to go into an international break here with players flying all over the world in a pandemic and then, I know this isn't for Stuttgart, but then we're back into Champions League football, two legs here or there. No one knows where they're going to be yet. And it's just a constant rhythm. And then we're straight into the Euros, wherever that's going to be. And then we're back into the next season. And unfortunately, Wamangatuka is not going to be the only guy that gets an ACL between now and, and September or you know a, a ligament damage to the ankle or damage to the back or, or key areas you know of the muscle structures and the bone structures that 
require footballers, you know, to be on top and to be playing at their best. It's it's unfortunate, and I don't think it's going to change. But I don't think he's going to be the last one. But yeah, real disappointed for him because I've really enjoyed watching him this season. I think he's been fantastic. Yeah, as you say, Chris, a real loss for Bundesliga fans, that injury. But uh, Manu, let, let's talk a little bit about Antwerp Frankfurt. They um, <laughs> they went out and scored plenty of goals as well on Saturday, winning 5-2 against Onyo Berlin. They've got so much firepower up top, don't they? But uh, they're sitting in fourth. Things are looking pretty good, aren't they, for the Eagles? Yeah, I think they've got that, at least a Europa League spot nailed down, which is it's great. I mean, Frankfurt in Europe is a real treat and... I'm I'm an optimistic person, you know. I, I see the vaccination drives in various countries really hitting off. I know people are complaining that it isn't going fast enough, but, but I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm just seeing the pace being picked up. And I think there will be fans next season in stadiums, Bryce, and we're going to have Frankfurt back in, in Europe. And anyone who's been in a European night at the Waldstadion will know what I'm talking about. It's majestic. It's the best experience you can have. And maybe it's going to be in the Champions League, um, which would, I think we've been banging on that drum for quite some time, right? That we're saying this is this next step for this club. This is what they need because it would allow them to retain someone like Andre Silva. And we were very fortunate at Transfermarkt that we interviewed um, Andre Silva. We had him for an exclusive interview that's up on the homepage um, and spoke to him. And he has been, he was pretty coy about his future. Um, but between the lines, I think if Frankfurt stay get the Champions League spot, there's a very good chance he's going to stay. And there might even be a chance for them to keep someone like Luka Jovic around for another year, right? And that would be huge for their development. And you just look at Andre Silva's numbers, right? 24 games, 21 goals, five assists. Um, he scores a goal every 98 minutes this season. He's been an absolute joy to watch. And he, you know, one of those players in any other league, he'd be the top scorer, right? And um, I think for Frankfurt, this is this has been a fantastic season. And I think Chris is probably going to want to speak a little bit about Dortmund. So we're going to do that in a moment. But the way things are going in Dortmund, Chris, for Frankfurt, this is a massive opportunity right now, isn't it? Oh yeah, it is. And you know, the, as we always say on this podcast, the table doesn't lie, especially um, match day ten onwards. Frankfurt are there as are Wolfsburg. They're on merit, and yeah, Frankfurt have played some great football this season. Um, I think it's been an evolutionary process under Adi Hutter. He came in, sort of got them firing a bit better, but defensively they looked a bit suspect at times. He seems to have have sorted that out. Um, They've got that sort of raw passion back that they had under Niko Kovac where, you know, they picked up a lot of yellow cards, but they were a tough team. They were a tough side to beat. You know, Bayern, I found that out recently, how tough they are to beat. And, when Jan Berlin found out this particular weekend. And and yeah, once they get that attacking flow going and it's, but Silver and Jovic are such good players. They're, they're all about in the box and, and where they go. And, and even, you know, goalkeepers will look at um, Silver's finishes are generally to the keeper's right-hand side. Or goalkeepers get pushed all this information. You know, we've got good access to stats. Everybody that listens to this podcast will have good access to stats. Well, clubs have even better access. You know, they've got stuff which will just blow your mind clean off. But they can't, even with all that preparation, they can't stop someone like Silva, like Lewandowski, like Jovic, like Haaland. It's hard to stop a player who's at the top of his game. And 
yeah, they've certainly got that in Andre Silva. He's proved a lot of people wrong. Um, coming to Frankfurt seems to be back to his best that we saw a couple of seasons ago. Um, and yeah, he, he is quite coy in that transfer marked interview. Um, he's got a lot of big clubs after him. But I think the Champions League, sometimes it's it's for players like this, it's the reward for a good season. And they'll go, do you know what? I will give you this extra season because you believed in me. You brought me here. You gave me this extra chance. And now we can go together in, in and have a look at the Champions League. And if it doesn't work out, I'll move on. And, you know, we can all be happy and friendly afterwards. And it's a it's a good situation for them to be in. But yeah, they're, they're there on pure merit. The, the Some of the midfield play they have, and then obviously the devastating finishes up top has, has been complemented by not only a really good goalkeeper in Kevin Trapp, but a back three the majority of time, that is pretty hard um, to to be beaten. And I know when you're on Berlin, get a couple of goals passed on this particular match day, but that's Max Kruse, and he he's himself is in a good vein of form um, since he's come back. But yeah, overall on Frankfurt, top, top side. And I'd really like to see them in a Champions League next season because Manu's right, that Stadion is... Poof, it is, you know, goosebumps, and that, and that's just from watching on the TV. Yeah, they're they're definitely in the driver's seat, aren't they? But Chris, I'm going to go back to you um, on this one. Where we need to talk about Dortmund a little bit. Uh, a two-two draw against uh, Köln at the weekend. It's someone that they would be expected to beat, and they they were looking a little bit better in, in recent weeks, um, but made hard work of this. Hard work is um, is probably the nicest way of putting it. Yeah, um, they were particularly poor, I thought. We've seen this under Edin Terzic perhaps before. They look like they've got no shape defensively. There's no structure. And then up front, they seem to miss uh, a myriad of chances. Now, obviously, they take a really early lead here. What we've seen from Dortmund is when they do that, they generally go on and win. Um, But they couldn't even do that here. I've, I've noticed this season when they don't score first, or they miss a few good chances, that's when the doubt creeps in and they have a shocker. But they got that first game here and and then, yeah, they were they were really, really poor. And you, I think we all saw Erling Haaland's response after the game. He takes his shirt off and, and throws it away. Well, you know, throws it. It was um, Jorge Mere, I think, throws it too, just as a shirt swapping thing and he storms off. He tweeted out later that, you know, he's quite cool. He's just disappointed. So, you know, I think all players do that. But Edin Terzic himself, you know, he said that they lost simple balls. He covered his post-match re- reactions on um, fushballstat.com. And, and yeah, he said that they, they lost simple and easy balls. There was far too many unforced errors um, that let Cologne back into the game. Totally disappointed. He, he thought they had enough chances. But he said the pitch was way too big. If you look at the AWS average positions, he was completely right. FC Kern managed to compact Dortmund, asked them to play wide, but they didn't. They were so narrow. Um, and, and yeah, they just couldn't come up with it. But like Dortmund have been this whole season, and Manu, you said this a couple of times, they've been bailed out by someone. They've been bailed out by Sancho. They've been bailed out by Holland. They've been bailed out by Giovanni Reiner. It's one or two points of excellence that's bailed them out of a tricky situation, not a top-notch team performance. Yeah, Manu, if, if we talk about then the game that will be coming up next for Dortmund and Eintracht Frankfurt is they're going to face each other. Um, sitting in fourth and fifth, you know, four points between the two of them. Would you say if Eintracht Frankfurt were to win that game, then that would be lights out for Dortmund's hopes of getting into the Champions League? Yeah, I, I think so. I think if, you know, 
if Dortmund don't win that game, it's going to get really difficult for them to get that Champions League spot. Because like for Frankfurt, you have to also remember for Frankfurt, they don't have quite as much to lose, right? And that's always a, a position mentally that, that, that gives you strength. Um, because if they win this game, um, the gap is, is huge. And there isn't that many more games games to be played after that. And on top of it, you know, you, you know that you can't make up three points by beating your direct opponent anymore, right? And that's, I think, if Frankfurt win that game, it's over. I would say even a draw wouldn't be good enough for Borussia Dortmund in this game. They have to win this game straight out. And that's going to be a very difficult thing to do. We don't, of course, know what's going on um, after this after this international break, right? Who's going to come back? Who's going to test positive for COVID? Who will have to go into quarantine? These are, these are the kind of things that are very difficult to calculate in these times. And we know, for example, Andre Silva is going is called up for Portugal, right? So um, who knows? Maybe that will be something that helps Dortmund. But I mean, and Dortmund, as, as Chris said, and I've been saying this all year long, they're getting bailed out by individuals. What if like someone like Haaland or Sancho comes comes back? I'm not sure yet what the situation with the English players is. I know Bayern have now decided to, to release Lewandowski, for example, to play in England. Not 100% sure what the exact situation is with the English players going to England from Germany. I know this is a very fluid situation, so this could change um, by the time we're recording on, on Sunday, right? Who knows what the situation is like on Monday. But that will have a huge impact on this game, Bryce. And I think that's something, a factor that we didn't have previously. But yeah, Dortmund will have to win this game if they want to get in the Champions League. Yeah, very exciting next tie for the two sides, eh? All eyes will be on it, I'm sure. But um, guys, let's um, slide down the table uh, next uh, and talk about a team that's given us, uh, well, too many topics this season, Schalke. Slapback players all assembled near the penalty spots. That's a goal. That's a textbook goal from Stefan Leiner. A second of the season for him. Yes, so Schalke lost once again uh, this weekend, their 18th loss of the season. This time, the late kickoff on Saturday, 3-0 to Borussia Mönchengladbach. Chris, it's just like a broken record now, isn't it? There's not more can be really said about their on-field performances. No, they're, <laughs> they're, they're dreadful. Um, and they look like a team that's relegated mentally. Um, I think you know everybody knows they're relegated and themselves. Um, they're just waiting now for the season to end and then they can rebuild in the summer perhaps. But yeah, they, they were poor again. And I think, you know, Gladback themselves haven't been particularly good of late. Um, they've created chances, but they haven't been able to score. That's been their main problem, really. You know, I think Marco Rose has come in for some criticism quite rightly because of the decision he's made and how public it's gone, etc. But the last few performances Gladbach have had, it's not. I don't think it's been Rose's fault. It's been down to the players. It's that that final execution of the final pass of the chance in front of goal that was completely missing, especially in the game. Um, I think it was against Mainz. They were really poor. Um, it was Augsburg? Sorry, the game against Augsburg, but where you know they should have won comprehensively. They were beaten. Um, I didn't think they would have any problem this time because they were playing Schalke. But yeah, boy, they were. It was far too easy for them. Um, Schalke had done. I mean, the positive, most positive thing I can get is they were beaten three nil, and it wasn't you know Schalke, North Fear again. It wasn't nil four. 
um, for for a joke for them to to be made of on the internet and in newspapers and on television. That's probably the only positive they can take um, because it's all fallen apart. I'm sure Manu's going to put some meat on the bones of this, but you know we all thought you, I, Manu, I think everybody who watches German football had a real thing for Schalke. Okay, it's poor this season, but is Ralph Ragnick going to come in? Is he going to turn them around? Look at what he did at Hoffenheim. Look at what he's done at Schalke previously. Look at what he did at Leipzig. Is he the guy to take them on and to help them win the second league and come straight back into the first league? But even now, that one positive, perhaps, shining light has been completely extinguished. Yeah, Manu, I mean, what exactly is going on there? there there's obviously on-field issues, but there's certainly plenty of off-field issues as well. Yeah, there's a ton of off-field issues. Um I made some calls last week and, you know, I ran that story with, with Matthew Hoppe and we'll get to that in a moment, I think, um, put that aside because I think probably Chris will, will want to dissect that transfer rumor a little bit. I can only write what what was told to me, right? And um, some of the clubs that he's been linked to, um, including Liverpool and Tottenham, I think Chris is probably better suited to say something about that because, again, I can only write what has been told. But what I thought was really interesting about um, the discussions about the rumors that I had with people that are either close to Hoppy or, or the club, right, um, was the the turmoil within, right, the absolute turmoil. Um, some of the words that were used were people saying, well, they're leaderless. Um, we don't know who's in charge. Um, we have no idea what the plan is. We don't know what's what the future of the club holds. Um, one person even said, like, we're really worried this could end up in the third division. And this is people from in, within the club, right? And multiple sources. And that's 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 bad. <laughs> I mean, that's really bad. And this whole Rangnick situation kind of... Kind of really is it in a nutshell isn't it because you have a man who's willing to come in right but he was approached from a group of people and they they showed their face and it included player like former players like ingo underbrücke but also some really leading industrialists in in the um, rural area which is you know what they need they need financial support they need outside help but it also included the ever-present idea of reforming the club and turning the uh, football department into an AG, like a stock company, right? Or like uh, a closed stock company, Sim- similar to what Dortmund and Bayern and most other Bundesliga teams have already done. And that's a very hot topic at, at Gelsenkirchen. And on top of that, Rangnick, of course, wanted a certain budget and certain ideas for, for coming to this club. And currently, um, his Rangnick's agent, Kursikske, phoned Buchta, the current CEO of Schalke, the current head of the board, and said currently this uh, working together is not possible. Um, Schalke are very hopeful that the last word hasn't been spoken on this. I mean, Chris, we covered this very much in depth, the soap opera, because it is a soap opera, isn't it? In depth last last week. And um, I think there's over 50,000 people have signed up for that petition now, right? And it's a huge disappointment that after all this talk that Rangnick could possibly come in and save this club and um, people have now stepped down from the board. Gesenos, the guy who, who opened the door for Rangnick, has now stepped down from the board and, and Buchta, the current head who, who basically forced Gesenos out of the board, is trying to fix this position. But it's just 
everything about this club is a soap opera right now. And I mean, I get it. If you're Rangnick and you are confronted, you're hearing the same things that I'm hearing, because if I'm hearing them, he's probably hearing even more. The truth is probably far worse. I would think twice about it too. Yeah, 100%. And they're... They have they've been an absolute circus off the pitch and on it for the last 18, 24 months. But I mean, really in the last 12 months, it's taken on, you know, a real big top element that it's just I mean, last time we chatted, you know, there's people storming out of meetings, there's treacherous and treason being uh, treachery and treason being thrown round like, you know, it's some sort of Middle Ages royal court. I know, I know they are the Royal Blues. Maybe it fits them perfectly, but it's just such a strange situation that's been compounded by, you know, one of the worst seasons on record. They're, they're, they are breaking records left, right, and center. They just can't stop leaking goals. They can't score goals. They can't buy a win. Um, they've got all this problem in the boardroom. They've got politicians and businessmen waiting to back the club with a certain... You know, Ralph Ragnick, that now looks like, as we said, it's not going to happen. It's just crazy. There's there's just, it's just running out of time for that club. And, you know, they are a big club with a massive membership and they are going to just fall down the leagues. Um, I can't see them coming back at the minute. And then I know we know that maybe Ralph Ragnick wasn't happy with like Danny Latza coming back. But again, why are Schalke going to take a, a free signing of someone who you know, is going to be 32 not that long after the season started? I get it. He's a, you know, he's a Schalke boy through and through, joined the club at a very young age, went all the way through 16, 17, 19, second team. Um, but I, I just don't know why they're looking at this. They seem to be harking back. Look at the people they've brought in, Mustafi, Kshelniak, Huntelaar, they, they were even linked with other players at one point, weren't they, from their past? And it seems like they're just clutching at straws for anything, um, both on the pitch and off it, in the dugout, in the boardroom. Um, and if I'm a fan of Schalke, um, I'd be really angry. And we've seen it before, you know, that those the ultras have turned up after games demanding to get in. Um it's going to get worse for them once those fans are allowed back in. They're going to have twelve months of anger and vert and you know energy to release. It's going to be a real bad time for for the board unless they can sort it out. And I think everybody who watches Schalke wants Ragnick to come in. And if that doesn't happen, well, I mean, it's going to be like a powder keg environment. Talking about uh, Ragnick, uh, Manu, do you see him possibly going on to fulfill the coaching role that will be available in the summer with Germany? Yeah, I was saying that um, maybe Schalke's loss is, is Germany's gain. I, I I personally think that Ralf Ragnick is the perfect coach to take over from Joachim Löw. Um, you know, like at Schalke, though, he will want to have complete control. And uh, a lot of people inside the DFB are probably not going to like that because just like Schalke, the DFB is full of people sitting on cushiony jobs, um, not necessarily always have the best interest of the DFB in mind either. And, um, you know, they would be threatened by someone like Rangnick because Rangnick shows up at a club, heads roll. When he took over Salzburg or the Red Bull project, the first thing he did is that he basically got rid of all the the hang-ons, right? And 
Rightfully so. I mean, this is this is his job, right? He his job is to look for the best of the club or the best of the organization he works for, and sometimes that means slash and burn, right? Um, but the DFB is very similar in that regard than Schalke, and they they need of this slash and burn, just like Schalke. I think those are two organizations in German football right now that are in dire need of someone like Rangnick, someone who comes in and you know shows a bunch of people the door and reforms, but. We all know that if you are sitting on a cushiony job, you're not necessarily going to hire the person that's going to fire you, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, uh, we'll just have to see what happens there. But uh, I suppose one final thing to touch on, um, and Chris, I'll, I'll go to you for this. So we see us going into an international break. You did mention that, you know, they, this brings up the whole question exactly what state of player is going to be in when they come back from that. Who's going to test positive in that? Uh, Germany are playing Iceland. Uh, Romania and North Macedonia. Uh, is is this really a wise thing to be doing right now? Well, no. Um, personally, no. I don't, I don't think it is. And I think everybody that listens to this podcast and will listen to it for a while will know that I absolutely love the Champions League and the Europa League. I don't even think maybe they should be going ahead at the moment um, for lots of reasons. Firstly, Leipzig and Liverpool, for example, don't play their home games at home. Gladbach and Manchester City don't play their home games at home. You know they're played in Budapest, uh, the capital of European football, which it seems at the moment. But yeah, it's not just the, the German sides that. Oh, sorry, it's not just the German national team that have got a problem. The Bundesliga is is made up of players from you know from global um, from global areas from countries all around the world. Some clubs won't. Some players won't be allowed to travel back to South America because of the Brazilian variant. Some players have been told they can't be released to come to the United Kingdom, where there's a number of countries playing a few games um, over this break. Are they going to have to quarantine when they go back? They're told no. But what happens if it changes? And then the integrity of, of the league can be called into question because... If you've got players bomb bursting all over and they come back and, and all of a sudden, you know, they're told I, either you've tested positive, which let's be honest, football has actually been really good. Um, and, and the bubbles and the, the hygiene protocols that all the clubs across most of Europe uh, have, have been enacting have been top notch. There's been very, very few positive tests. And when there has been, you know, clubs have shut down um, certain areas to, to deal with it instantly. But I just think putting people back into this melting pot when we are really so close to coming out of it, you know, with the vaccines being rolled out, et cetera. Um, I know why UEFA are doing it and why the confederations are doing it because, you know, the Champions League pays a lot of money to clubs that are in it. It, it allows leagues to prosper. The same is for for your for international football. It allows the associations to prosper. So the DFB will have television agreements. They'll have commercial agreements that if these games are just cancelled, you know they then are defaulted on those agreements and they won't get paid for them. The same for UEFA as well. So that's why there's such a push to get these international breaks played. That's why there's such a push for the Euros to go ahead. But it seems daft to me at the minute. Um, and. If players do come back and they and all of a sudden, because Manu said it's such a fluid situation, you don't have to quarantine now. But we're talking about a three week break. So what happens on like the the third of April? All of a sudden, oh, actually, yeah, you, um, forty five people that have been abroad, you, you know, now can't play for ten days. That, as I said, that brings 
you know, the integrity of the league into question if teams are having to start playing under 18s or under 19s in key games like Leipzig against Bayern, Dortmund against Frankfurt. These are massive fixtures that can't be supplemented with youth players because the regulations within country borders have changed or health requirements within country borders have changed. It would be a sad thing to see. Yeah, you're absolutely right there, Chris. Um, well, that more or less does it for the podcast today. Um, as we mentioned, international break coming up next, and then hopefully we don't have too many um, positive tests after that because we've got a hell of a match day coming up with Dortmund versus Eintracht Frankfurt. We've got the Berlin Derby and RB Leipzig versus Bayern Munich. Wow. Um, yeah, so that does it from Chris, Manu, and I. I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. Auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.